Are there times you know you should engage a difficult conversation, but you avoid it because you don't know how to have it so that it can be heard, much less move to a successful outcome? Well, in today's podcast, we're sharing a surprisingly simple three-step strategy that's going to improve your relationships, communication, and organizational impact tenfold. You'll hear a personal story from me, and you'll learn what all this has to do with shaving cats. Welcome to Playing Full Out, where you'll discover tips to break through the personal and professional barriers in a hectic world that are preventing you from leading your optimal vision of life at work and home. This is the podcast for passionate life travelers and leaders who want to live a deliberate, confident, and fulfilling life and change the world while they do. I'm your host, Rita Hyland, and in each episode, we'll expose you to something new in the areas of passion, performance, and psychology that you can immediately apply to grow your life, love, and leadership. Several years ago, I took my kids on spring break by myself, the three of them, to Williamsburg, Virginia. My husband had some work conflicts, so I decided we'd go visit some relatives. We had a great week in Williamsburg. But on the way home, we faced some travel challenges. We went to get on the flights at about 9 a.m. in the morning. It was be a direct flight to Chicago, but it ended up getting rerouted, and we found ourselves in D.C. and eventually made our way home at about 10.30 that night. My husband picked us up from the airport. He was excited to see us. We talked about our trip. He told us the things that he was excited that he had gotten done during the week, and at one point, My oldest child said to him, Dad, tell me you didn't shave the cat, to which there was silence. And the silence made it evident that, in fact, he had. He'd done this once before, and he again thought it was a good idea. He didn't like the cat's hair long. It's a cute little white-haired, long-haired cat named Bo, and It didn't go over well the first time, and it wasn't going over well the second time. Everybody broke out into tears, and I was ticked. I had been exhausted from my flight and the trip and the long week. I was facing getting these three children who are crying now into the house and ready for Easter Sunday the next morning. As I had nothing nice to say. I went with the adage, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. So I was silent, but fuming. And I woke up the next morning still quite angry. And we had few words between us all day long. The next day, I woke up and we went about our business in silence as well. And this is very uncustomary for my relationship and for me in general. I decided then and realized that something had to happen in order for this conflict to change. We both felt really right in our decisions and that the other person was really wrong, and we were both doubling down. I asked myself some questions and proceeded with what I call the art and strategy to addressing conflict. And it's something I'm going to share with you today. I take some of this, if I'm recalling correctly, from one or two books. There are a couple of my favorites that I would recommend everybody read. The first is the Leadership and Self-Deception book, and it's by the Arbinger Society. Their follow-up book is called The Anatomy of Peace. And what I 
brought forth from the combination of them are three questions that I believe can transform our communications, our relationships, our organizations when we use them. There's something I've recognized in society that I see as a prolific problem, and it is our inability to engage in healthy conflict. Why won't we move towards conflict? There's a lot of reasons, and at the base level, our egos are desperate to be right. We would rather oftentimes be right than happy. We're afraid that we'll be rejected or we'll be hurt if we broach a subject or afraid we're going to hurt others. Sometimes we're lazy and we don't want to put forth what we consider the energy and the time to address certain things that need to be brought forth and brought into the light. And so instead we think that we can let it lie and then it'll just die. But the reality is, with conflict is that it's residual and the resentment builds like a cancer. Slowly it feeds upon itself and it escalates until we feel angry and bitter and it then becomes a lot more to deal with because it's become amplified. So if we learn how to address it in the first place, if we have both the art which is understanding what's underneath any type of poor behavior or unsupportive or out of integrity type of behavior, and we seek to look under the hood, we can move things into a new direction. Don Miguel Ruiz, in his book, which is called The Art, The Mastery of Love, rather, it's his second book, and it is about relationships, describes anger and conflict in this way. He says that there's an anger ball and at each point one person catches it and then they throw it to the other person and then the next person catches it. And that little game continues back and forth and the ball gets bigger. It snowballs and it continues to get intensify, amplify, and that at some point in order to pivot or shift into a healthy dynamic, someone needs to choose to catch the anger ball. And in this case, and this, what I realized in my own personal example that I'm giving you is that I had to catch the anger ball. At the base level of addressing and moving through conflict, we have to understand that each individual at their foundation desires to be seen and heard. When we're only interested in our own perspective or proving ourselves right or becoming defensive, we are unable to look through the lens of another and thereby validate that we see them and that we get them. And there is no hope of conflict ever getting resolved if we cannot seek to understand it a first step. Now, when I say that we get them, it does not mean that we agree with them. These are very two very different things. It simply means that I understand where you are coming from and I care. 
I care to be interested enough to, to seek to understand. And as a child, and even well into my young adulthood, I realize now that I avoided moving to conflict. I would do anything. I would create levity. I'd create distraction because I didn't want pe- other people to be uncomfortable. What I do now, it's ironic, because after many years of learning and experiencing, is that I go straight into what they call the elephant in the room. I go in and prick it and discuss it and bring it forward. Because any time that you shine the light on what is dark, it too becomes light. So let's talk about how we turn things from dark to light. When we do notice that a behavior is not supportive to an individual or others, there's something that's unattractive. The first question to ask ourselves is, what is this person worried, concerned, or afraid of? What are they worried, concerned, or potentially afraid of? The second question is, how am I unwittingly contributing to that worry, concern, or fear. So if we take the situation with my husband and I asked myself that question, I, I, I had to dig deep, but I also had had some conversation with him, we as it was on that Easter Sunday. And I heard through it that he at one point said, I don't feel like you're taking into account my opinion or that it matters that I want what I want with regards to the cat. Bam, there it was. He was worried or concerned that I wasn't hearing him and that he wasn't going to be get his way or be seen or heard. How was I unwittingly contributing to it? I simply made a mandate that that was never to ever to happen again and decreed it without probably much interest or concern for why he didn't want, why he did want to have this thing have a lion's cut. And the third question becomes, how can I help alleviate his fears? If his fear is that I'm not hearing him, I don't care what he has to think or say on topics, then how can I help alleviate it? Well, why? Why should we be concerned and and try to alleviate people's worry, concern, or fear? Here's the reality. Because the, when the brain is operating from a negative, neutral, or stressed space, brain science has shown us, and more specifically, the research done by Sean Aker, who has a very interesting TED Talk that if you haven't seen, you should go out and see. His research shows that our faculties, our qualities, including human intelligence, problem solving, creativity, communication, they all decrease significantly when the brain is operating from a fear-based, stressed-out space. So if we're working in combination or collaboration with individuals, whether it be in our home space or in our workplace, we need to call upon ourselves to show up and to positively affect and impact conflicts and relationships to a successful conclusion. This is why it is our business as managers to be interested in the psychology of another person. So once I got the art, they used these three questions to understand the what was under the hood, which was affecting my husband. And I realized how I was unwittingly contributing to it and 
my ideas and thoughts for how I could pivot it to progress, I addressed it with a strategy. I called him up at work and I began in this way. I sense that you are concerned that I don't take your opinions into account and that I am uninterested in hearing how you feel about the cat. I'm sorry to the extent that I've unwittingly contributed to that by mowing over you the last time that you did this or when I do this in these other places. It is not my intention. My ideas for suggestions and solutions are the following. And so in that way, I had just done three things. I had acknowledged that I get him. I see and hear what's really this is about. I apologize for my participation in it because we are 100% responsible for 50% of a relationship. And then I made my own suggestions for how I'd like to contribute to making something different. I noticed I didn't become more defensive. I didn't throw the anger ball back at him, even though there can, you can always have a piece of you because we do exist with an ego that when the ego hasn't quieted itself fully down, may still continue to bark and tell you, but he is more wrong than you are. He is more foolish than you are. That is, that is a, a dumb idea and a stupid set of behaviors. And we can, but, but that doesn't make me in the end, happy. So once I could move through my anger and let it dissipate, I was able to have this next space of conversation. Some tips when you have a conversation like this is that you begin with the end in mind. You set an intention, in other words. That would look something like this. The intention of me having this conversation with you is that we have further peace in how we talk to each other. I don't want to continue this argument. So my intention is that by the end, you and I have a closer relationship. When you do that and you've set your intention, and this is very specific in, as I see it in the workplaces, and I will give you a professional example in just a moment, what happens is that people know where you're going with it. They know Their mind's going to wrap around trying to get there with you more likely. And it also keeps you in place. So again, when things start to go on tangents or people go off track or there's defensiveness comes up, you can always go back to, remember, my intention is that this takes us to a better place or a faster pace to deliver that item, whatever the case may be. So be clear of having the end in mind. When you are showing that you understand someone, I think the best two words are, I sense. This is what I sense. Doesn't mean that you know it, but you sense it. And so you want to, and you're interested in seeing if, are you correct? Are you nailing it? Give me some feedback. Once you say, I sense, or I realize you might feel this way, and it's usually a fear-based way, or hopefully an inaccurate perception based upon the relationship, The next step is to say, the truth is this. So you may feel that I don't care about when this product gets delivered or when we, that I make you happy or that I take your opinion into account. The truth is this. 
So in that space, you are supporting a person from pivoting from fear-based place over to a more truth, possibility, and love-based place. And that's a whole nother frequency, if you realize it. And a frequency means that your energy is going up and you're holding it at a certain level. And 99 times out of 100, after you've caught that anger ball, and that you stay up there and say, I'm not going to go swim in the swamp, they will meet you. I've done this for 17 years now, and and I'm always amazed, my clients are always amazed that when they come at it from a love-based or truth-based place with a high frequency and a high energy and believe it is possible to turn something around in advance of seeing the evidence of it, that other people want to meet them there. In their our organic state, we do not want to remain negative, stressed, or just neutral. Our natural state is happiness and joy. And that is more in line and integrity with where we are. It's that one person has to be the conscious leader and decide and then be able to move through their ego to take these three questions in hand to answer and look underneath the hood so that they can then have the formula and gather the courage to use the strategy to embark and engage in the conversation. There's a man named Randy Pouch, who many of you probably already know, but he was a professor at Carnegie Mellon. And he developed a last lecture because he was dying of cancer, I believe pancreatic cancer. And it was a really moving lecture that ended up being seen the world wide over. And it later became a book. One of the things I most recall from this book was that he said to always go to the elephant in the room. This is paradigm shifting for most of our worlds. And if we do, if we are a person who does move towards conflict or likes to get into the fight, what I've noticed is that we don't know how and what to do when we get there. We don't have the tools to move it to a successful conclusion. I think it's important to also understand how this very same art and strategy apply to our corporate world in our workplaces. Not too long ago, I was asked to work in a with an organization and two different departments that were really at odds with each other. It was a research company and a consumer product company that you would recognize the name of. And what happened was that their engineering and marketing departments and the directors of both who were, had very talented individuals at the top were not able to work effectively together, that they had hit a logger jam and were so irritated and double, da- double downing that they were the right people and their team was more correct with regards to how this thing was being delivered, that, that it was an absolute standstill and it was really mucky. So I came in and used some of the strategy that we're talking about right here to disseminate or dissipate this conflict. And here's how it looked. I talked to the director of engineering and I said, Jerry, what do you think marketing is worried, concerned, or afraid about? What possibly could they be concerned about in working with you? And he said, I don't think they think we appreciate a deadline. And they think that we are slowing everything down and that they are never going to hit their deliverable. 
and that we have no clue of the consumer and their needs. I asked how he unwittingly was contributing to it. He said, well, we've put in more tests rather than taking them away. We have pushed out the date and we are tending to move at a snail's pace. But, and then he could go in, but they don't understand. And I just said, how could you seek solutions to help alleviate their fear? And we came up with some. I went over to marketing. I said, marketing, what do you think engineering's concerned about? What could they, are they worried about? They are so worried that they're going to deliver a product that might get recalled or that we don't have enough tests, but, 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 they, but, they, they, but they never do and it's always okay and they just over-worry. But, and I said, but how are you contributing unwittingly to their problem? We try to ramrod them. We don't respect them. We think that they, aren't, they don't have a clue of what the real world's about, that they're back tinkering with their gadgets. And I said, then how do you think? What are solutions do you have and ideas do you have for helping to alleviate their fear? And so I got them both in a room. And when each of them used some of the strategy, which is I sense that you all think that we don't care about what you're going through and the deadline engineering says to marketing, know that we do. I care about your deadline. I want this out as much as you do. This is our concern. I think that we're contributing to it like this. I apologize to the extent that we play in this. How about if we look at moving those, you know, trying to drop one of the extra tests or having them go on simultaneously and trying to get it out. Marketing did the same. It doesn't, it didn't move quite as quickly as that, but it did move because when people stop and look through the lens of another They can see a whole new world and have a a whole new host of behaviors and ideas and creativity to unite and get to the end. But they can't do that when they're sitting in their ego-based place and continuing to throw the anger ball back and forth to each other. Here's a final tip. When you are the receiver of someone's feedback regarding a disagreement, be the kind of person who listens. I have a lot of, well, let's say highly positioned leaders who want feedback. But my first question is always, are you creating the environment that is safe enough for a person to be able to bring something to you? Ask the question, am I doing everything to alleviate another person's fear? How am I unwittingly contributing to it by not seeing what they're saying? Begin with, I appreciate your perspective and you bringing it to me. Seek to understand them even if you disagree and let them know you hear them by saying, I get your perspective. I was on the telephone not too long ago with a popular children's store and putting in a really big furniture order. And I'd spent 45 minutes probably on this online order, if not more, and I'd done it for a second night. And it was based upon an ad that had come up on the computer. And it's one of those things where you get to the very end of the order and they're not going to take off. It, you know, your item is an exclusion or exception to the offer. Stunning. You didn't read it all the way down, you know, 20 inches below the fine, the fine print. So I called for the second day because this second day I was sure that this was not an exclusion. And I talked to the customer service and I said, look, this is what's happening. And I can't understand because it says this and I feel like this is like fake advertisement. And the person on the other end from the company started to tell me why I was wrong and had a really disgruntled, irritated voice. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
right now, the only thing you should be saying to me is, I appreciate your perspective and I appreciate your opinion and I appreciate you bringing this to me. I am the consumer. I am the person that is providing feedback. Even if you don't agree with me, you tell me that you get me. I explained I was a business coach. I was going to help her give her a little bit of feedback and get a little information. At that point, she immediately started to crumble and apologize. She's like, I know they tell me I got to share this. I got to I got to fight back. And I said, well, that doesn't do anything for either of us, right? She's like, no, I know we're in the wrong. And I know this is terrible that we do it this way. And I said, I can't be the first person this has happened to, right? She said, absolutely. But the thing is, is that I was said, I have such a large order going through that you're going to lose me because simply because you don't hear me. I mean, I want this stuff, but if you don't hear me and I don't feel seen or heard, it's dead. And that's really what happens in a lot of our politics, a lot of our world. And I think it's really important that if we aren't able to address and move towards conflict and to its successful conclusion and teach our children to do the same, that we are, in fact, contributing unwittingly to the many and large world wars that we see out there. No, I'm not the person down in the in a gang or I'm not over in Iraq fighting, but how am I contributing or contaminating to the energy of war in the world? And the first place is to start to clean up our own business. That's my opinion. And to clean it up in our homes and to clean it up in our organizations and to be engaging in a kinder and more loving approach, conscious approach to conflict. I get that addressing conflict within our families or at our workplaces can be scary. And we often aren't practiced at using our voices or naming the elephant in the room. And we fear other people's responses. Be okay being uncomfortable. Brene Brown talks about being willing to be uncomfortable for three minutes so that you're not uncomfortable for three hours, three days, three weeks, three years. Go there. Practice it. You now have the framework, write the three questions down on a three by five index card and see how many opportunities you have to use them on a regular basis. When you engage in the art and science of conflict, you'll become what's like a conflict whisperer. I've been amazed at how fights where people are never going to speak again can trans be transformed into exceedingly loving relationships. People on the cusp of divorce moving into their relationship once again after 10 years, brothers and sisters who haven't spoke and are just furious and will never decide never to speak again, they've been transformed. It's absolutely stunning when we seek. And this is why I really, if, if you're really interested in the topic, I do encourage you to go read The Anatomy of Peace. It's also a story, so it's not like a didactic self-empowerment book. It explores a Israeli and an Arab who are teachers now of conflict, both of them had, their brothers had been killed by people um, from their other, the other side. And it, it makes you think that if these two people can find peace, then certainly we can in our relationships at home. Ronald Reagan said that peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. Love it. You've got the tools Go forth and play with them, and we will talk again real soon.
Thanks for tuning in to Playing Full Out. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes for more tips, tools, and inspiration to leading the optimal vision of your life, love, and leadership. And remember, a half version of you is not enough. The world needs the fullest version of you at play.